Parenting is hard. Few of us feel up to the task. The world is shifting, quickly and dramatically. All of us feel the changes affecting our families. The stress and pressure can be intense. We are here to help sort the good and the bad, provide insight and bring hope. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. We're so glad you stopped by. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. I am your co-host, Pastor Brad Mathias. You're very handsome, Brad, and I'm Robert Beeson. Wow. That's... Are you trying to disarm me with a compliment? Is that what that was? Because you don't compliment me ever. You look really good. I like your jacket, like your hat. Thanks. Uh, Got a nice shave. You know why? It was cold this morning. It was a little cooler. Hmm. Not cold. It was not hot this morning. And it perks me up. Okay. Because I'm a cool guy. Like, I like cool air. you are cool. Totally cool. Joey's saying don't talk about the weather. Oh. Okay. It could be any time of year, Joey. It doesn't. It's not, or you could go to Costco. In, Ten- in Tennessee, it can be hot or cold any time of year. And like, if you go to Costco and you go in the refrigerator section, it's freezing. So any time of the year, you, you need a jacket. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to go deep here. Uh, I've dug up some more facts for us to consider. Positive facts, odd facts, fun facts for uh, families that are in the middle of a stressful day. Because podcasts can get heavy, and I want to make sure we encourage and inspire those that are listening. So, Robert, did you know the average age that children begin to use a microwave? Can you guess what age that is? Don't look. Don't cheat. Um, <clears throat> you already looked. What would you have guessed? 16. It's seven. <laughs> Statistically, uh, the average age a child begins to use a microwave is seven years old. That's That makes a lot of sense, actually. <clears throat> Yeah. And and here's another one that I thought was phenomenally helpful for a parent. You know, how many times do you think a four-year-old asks questions in a single day on average? Don't ask me these questions when I'm looking at the same script. Well, don't. Don't look at it. Okay. Uh, four? Four. Four years old. So for parents out there, if you think your kids are asking a lot of questions, it's, they be- are. it's because they are. Scientists have studied this 437 questions That's crazy. per day for <clears throat> an average crazy. four-year-old. So if you're a mom or a dad and you're like, man, he's wearing me out. She's wearing me out. What, what this? What that? You know, just constant. You're not crazy. No, you're not. They're if, asking that many <clears throat> questions. And this one I can testify to, I, but I would add something to it. It says, uh, a three-year-old boy, I would say girl as well, a three-year-old boy's voice is louder than 200 adults in a crowded restaurant. Wow. Statistically. That's what this we, says. We have scientific evidence. That's why you can hear kids anywhere in the house. Yeah. Especially on an airplane. Have you ever noticed that? They seem to get louder on airplanes. Yeah, what is that? I don't know. I don't know. Like you can be sitting way in the front of a Southwest flight and 24 rows behind you, you can hear that child light it up. Absolutely. It's crazy. It is crazy. Well, now we know. I mean, they have some kind of supernatural power. (coughs) Apparently. It's like superhero stuff. I guess so. Wow. Well, we've always known our kids are remarkable. Yes. And loud. And loud. And we've always known they're curious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that they do like to cook things in a microwave. So today, I think we've already uh, uncovered some evidence to prove some of those things we thought we knew. Yeah. It's good, is, to, it's good to know that we're not alone. Yeah. Today's guest, however, uh, I've been reading her bio, I've been looking at her blog, I've been thinking about this new book she's writing. I'm inspired. Yeah. I haven't even talked to her <clears throat> yet. Uh, this seems to be one of those profiles in Courage. 
uh, as a mom. No doubt. No doubt. When I ask myself, there's no way I could, but she is. Yeah. Our guest today is Becca Bowman, and you are an amazing woman already. I know this. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. Thank you. We appreciate it. Fun to be on here. So, Becca, tell us, just uh, tell our audience just a little bit about um, your story, because you're writing a book, Can't Steal My Joy. You have a really <laughs> amazing blog called can'tstealmyjoy.com. Um, um, but I want you to tell us why you started writing a blog and now you have a book. Okay. <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> um, uh, so I started writing my blog when um, our son was having seizures kind of out of nowhere. Um, he was about three and a half years old, and we we had been searching for answers as to what was going on with him for several months. And in that time, I was learning a lot about what it really meant to trust um, in circumstances I had no control over. And I uh, was learning some really amazing, beautiful things about who God was in those places. And I just thought, I have to share. And I, I felt this really strong call from God to start sharing. And I've always loved writing, um, a journal of my whole life. But I thought, well, I guess I could turn this into a blog. And I sat there and, you know, the cursor's blinking at me. And I'm thinking, what am I going to call this? And I thought, you know, it baffles even me that I actually can express and feel joy right now um, when I have no idea what's going on with my son and he is very sick and I have no control over it. I can still feel joy. And I feel like I can say, Satan, you can't steal my joy. Um, and so I thought, that's it. That's what it's going to be called. So I called it Can't Steal My Joy. And I just started vulnerably sharing. And I, I shared, I tried to be a steward in, in my words because I wanted to share um, the vulnerability and the pain. And I also wanted to share the hope and the joy that we can find in those places. Um, and so, I mean, as we journeyed this, you know, story with my son and we got the, the, the diagnosis that was, uh, turns out to be fatal um, and genetic, <laughs> And we had no idea that it had been, you know, lurking inside of him this whole time and just started to come out. He was three and a half. Um, you know, I guess I just continued to learn more and more and more control was stripped out of my hands. And I found peace and hope in in a, a place that couldn't disappoint me. You know, instead of um, finding peace and hope in my parenting skills, my ability to hold things together and make sure my kids are doing well. All of that was taken away. And I had to look for for that somewhere else. And that is kind of where my my blog and my book have come from. It's just the gifts that God has um, given me and the things I have learned in really, really broken places with our story. Yeah. I, for our audience that's listening along, you have uh, <coughs> you have a son currently named Eli, and yes. you have already lost one son, Titus, yeah. to yeah. Uh, a genetic disease known as Batten disease. Is that correct? Yes. And you have walked through um, sort of a grieving process with one child, and now you're going through another process of caring for your younger son. 
Yeah. I've read some of the articles that have been written. There's a lot of media that's sort of covered your story. Your husband's a coach, uh, a track coach. Mm -hmm. And uh, you guys have really stepped into this space of inspiration to other parents and other people who are dealing with tragic circumstances. Um, Yeah. I don't get the sense from your blog or from your writing that you are devastated. I get the sense that you've been uh, comforted by God directly. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what I want. I want people to know because a lot of people question, these are big theological questions, but a lot of people question why, you know, why wouldn't God just reach down and save Titus? Why, would you guys are good people? Why would why would he allow you to go through that? Um, and and I have you know I have answers and things to pro- process about that. It's a whole different thing. But I guess I just I want to share that he's that he's there. You know, it's not that he's abandoned us. It's not that um, he's turned his back and isn't looking and and pretending like he doesn't know what's going on here. It's or he's chosen this path for us. It's, I don't believe those things about God. I believe that this world is a broken place and we're experiencing brokenness because that's what we live in. But he is here. He is He is at the bottom of the pit with me. Um, and that is the only way that it's survivable, you know, to be able to even take the next step. And I, I literally live um, a day at a time, sometimes even a moment at a time. Um, depending on what's going on. and But I've never felt abandoned by him. And I want people to see that God. I want, to see, I want them to see his story in that way, his character. It's amazing and so inspiring. The, the question that I have for you, and I probably know the answer to this, but I'd like you to expound on it, is you talk about can't steal my joy. Is that... Um, is that something that happens or is that a discipline that you focus on? Because, you know, a lot of times we can be in these overwhelming, heartbreaking situations um, that that we can so easily be governed by feelings. And um, yeah. talk yeah. to us a little bit about the difference between, you know, just encountering joy or deciding to pursue joy and what that means to you. I think the biggest thing I've learned about joy is that it's very much not a feeling. Mm. Um it's not a happy to find that way. And for me, I've defined it not in a what, but in a who. Um, my joy is Jesus. And in a victorious hope that he promises. My joy is found in a faithful God who proves over and over and over that he promises. Um and I have found it to be uh, a little bit supernatural and kind of a superpower, like God has, hmm. has filled me up with it. But at the same time, it has been a bit of a discipline. I talk about that in a little bit in my book because I feel like I need to lay out some of the things that God was teaching me to seek Him in. Yeah. Um, so learning to have gratitude. Um, I Ann Voskamp's book actually was um, profound for me to read during that time do this, the 1000 gifts. And she talks so much about finding thankfulness in every little thing. And I talk about that in my book too, just where I could find thankfulness in the tube feedings and, you know, the like suctioning him out. And I get just thanking God for all these little things. It it unlocks something 
Mm. When we can feel gratitude, even in dark places. Um, I practiced proclaiming his character and his faithfulness. And I would literally write statements about who God was all over our mirrors. I'd have them up, you know, in places where I could see them and remember um, my covered doors. I had, you know, I opened it. A, a friend of ours made scripture verses promising with God's promises and God's faithfulness that we put on our, our cupboard doors in the kitchen. So when we open those, we'd see that. And it was just this constant, you know, putting in front and looking up. Um, I learned a lot about how we get so saturated in our lower story, um, what's happening, our circumstances around us, and we get pulled to and fro by those. And um, when we can exercise looking up, like practice looking up, look at God's big story, look at what has been happening from the beginning of time and that redemptive storyline that he has been weaving as promised from the beginning of time. And he's still doing that today. He has not left us. And so um, those are the things that fed my joy, just looking at those things and, and really thinking about them. You know, I'm listening to your uh, thoughts and in my own heart, I'm, I'm remembering uh, my mom who would tape stuff on the bathroom mirrors and the fridge throughout her house my whole life. Like she would, she would write these little Psalms or a promise or a verse um, all over the house. And uh, I can, can definitely testify to that, what you're saying, because this idea of reminding ourselves of the goodness of God, when nothing we can see or feel mm has that in it yeah. um, seems to be the, where the battles won or lost in that, yeah. in that thought process. And, and then as a pastor, I can say, wow. And that was actually something God told them to do in the old Testament to write these yeah. things down and bind them on their wrists and their mm -hmm. foreheads and to write them over the mantles of their home as if he knew that we would need those reminders. Mm -hmm. That's kind of cool. Um, how? Go ahead, please. I was just going to say the battle of of truth and lies in our heads is so it, it is so prevalent, right, for all of us. And I think that for me, being able to see those things and read them and keep them in front of me, it took the lies that sounded a lot like truth in my head, the hopelessness and the weariness, and it just it made him move over. And it was just kind of like, you don't get to be here. You know, you get to be thought about, but then you go, mm -hmm. um, because that's not truth. And, and truth is where you're going to find freedom. So. Wow. Yeah. I, I was, uh, reading through some of the, uh, again, I've done my homework with you. I I've read a lot of these articles and I've read through your blog in, in some detail. Um, you write this, and I want to ask you about this. It says, guys, your story might look completely different than mine, but we all have something in common. We all have these broken stems and beaten leaves, and we all have the potential to bloom full and beautiful despite our brokenness. And then you say, or dare I say it, because of our brokenness. Mm -hmm. That is a pretty profound statement. Help me uh, unpack that with our audience. When you wrote that, what was your, what were you thinking? 
<clears throat> All right. Well, there's a little story to that symbolism. Um, back in October of 2015, to give you some context, Titus had been diagnosed with batten disease. We'd gotten our youngest diagnosed, uh, tested, and he was also diagnosed with the same disease. Um, Titus had greatly regressed. He'd lost almost all of his abilities at this point. And I'm journaling one morning, and again, I'm just really blown away at the fact that I'm feeling joy and peace and comfort. And I'm, I'm just journaling it out. I'm going, what is this? You know, what is God doing in me? What is he teaching me here? Um, and he brought this very distinct symbolism of this flower to my mind. And it was a flower that was, you know, broken, um, barely hanging by a thread on its stem. And the leaves were eaten up and, and the stem was, you know, snapped near in half. And this beautiful bloom was on the end and these deep, deep roots were underneath and they were clinging to other roots and they were, they were just diving deep for nutrients. And it was, that was God showing me like, Becca, this is how I have been taking care of you. Um, the roots started back when I was a child, you know, I can see how God formed this foundation for me, um, to prepare me for what I was going to be doing. And, and these roots are my community and they're the people that have latched onto us. Even though our story is horrible and ugly and, and painful, they've latched onto us and they're, you know, bringing us meals and they're helping us with, with, um, for everything. I, I could go on forever about what our community has done for us. That's our roots. Um, our roots are the victory that, that Jesus already won and that we get to cling to and we get to hold on to and it's a hope that can never disappoint hmm. and then we have these broken stems and these beaten leaves and they're you know the the weariness of this world and the brokenness of this world and and the wear and tear that it has on us and the plot twists that we go through and um you know the things that we we strive to control and then we can't and the the facades we put on and we can't hold on to those for so long, you know, all those things are our broken stem and our beaten leaves. And then we have this bloom, this amazing grace and just get a gift that God gives us to be able to still be used by him and still be part of his redemption story and, um, and to still be able to call out beautiful things. I mean, it's just, that was the symbol he gave me. So uh, time passes. I, I wrote this down in my journal. I drew it. I never shared it at that point. Didn't put it on my blog. It was something very near to my heart. And it was just like a gift God gave me of a symbol, symbolism of, of what he's doing in me and the, the hope and the promise I can hold on to. And um, uh, Titus passes away. And 10 days later, we hop on an airplane and start flying to Ohio for a clinical trial for Eli. And we do that for six months, but um, that November of 2016, so Titus had passed in September, um, literally out on my back patio, a flower blooms just like this. Hmm. And it is, it is for, like at the angle, it has the broken stem, the beaten leaves, this gorgeous yellow bloom, which was so sweet because Titus's absolute favorite color was yellow. Hmm. Um, so yellow bloom <clears throat> and it, it, it was like God reaching down saying, I, you have gone through all of this. I have not forgotten you. I am still here. I do still have these roots that you can cling to. You might be broken. You are broken. You are beaten and broken. 
like here is this redemption story that I am still doing in you and through you and through all of time that you get to be a part of. So that's where that all came from. And it, for me, it, it hit me. This isn't just my story. Everybody has this. Everybody has these broken stems and beaten leaves. Everyone can have these deep roots. Everyone can be part of this beautiful redemption bloom that he's doing. Hmm. So that's a beautiful that's illustration. I, <clears throat> I was, I went through a, a really difficult season and uh, similar to you, a pastor friend of mine shared that um, in the in the farming world, <clears throat> and you may know this uh, more than me. I'm a city guy, so I, I it didn't occur. But he said farmers actually want really really drastic winters um, because when winters come and they're harsh, it kills mm-hmm. everything on the top. But what happens is it makes the roots go deeper, and so a farmer knows that the more severe a winter. Um, the better the harvest on the next year because the minerals, the, the roots are then forced to go deeper into the soil and get more nutrients and that kind of thing. It reminds the same thing that you're talking about, which I think is, is a beautiful illustration. You mentioned the importance of community and people coming around and bringing meals. And I'm glad you did because I think so many of us that are not, that have, first of all, everyone goes through seasons of, of dark. I mean, it's, you know, we live in a broken world, like you said. Um, but sometimes those of us that have gone through that and are on the other side or haven't encountered that yet, we don't know what to do with people that are in that season. And um, because we just feel awkward, there's like a big elephant in the room, you know, whether it's death or divorce or whatever. I mean, you can immediately be there, but as as time goes on, you just, you kind of, what do we, you know, what do you say? What do you do? I have a friend that was diagnosed recently with uh, cancer and and it's just really interesting that you, you kind of, I find myself, like, I, I'm not sure exactly what to say. So mm. why don't you demystify that a little bit and and let those of us that are not in that dark place right now know the best ways we can help people that are in the dark season. Yeah. I think one of the most helpful things I could tell you is that even after going through what we've gone through, I don't have the right words either. Mm. So you can take that pressure off to feel like you've got to find them because often there aren't right words. There just aren't. Um, I found our community is incredible. They always have been. Um, But the people who just showed up and literally like my favorite coffee at the door. You know, we know you have days. So here's your coffee. Um, (laughs) I had a friend who said, I have set aside in my budget to get your house cleaned twice a week or twice a month. Hmm. So um, find somebody and you're not saying no to this. And I was like, "Uh," and she's like, no, you're not saying no. So um, she paid for probably a year um, for my house to get cleaned twice a month. So I did not have to worry about deep cleaning and I could just spend time with my boys. Um, We had, of course, the meal trains and, um, people who would come over and help me, my husband, you know, as you know, he's a coach. And so he's gone often for track meets and um, competitions and stuff. And so it was a lot of care to take care of both of these boys by myself. So they, um, people would come over and just hang out so I could get one boy ready for bed and then get the other ready for bed. Um, 
we had, I had a, a hairstylist in California who refused to charge me. She said, you need mom time, pamper time, come in every six to eight weeks, get your hair done. And I, you will never pay me a dime. And she, she did, she did my hair for until we moved here to Idaho just recently. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking of, of ways that you have things you have to offer that you could just do um, without asking. I think that was overwhelming for me to when people would say, let me know if you need anything. Right. I never I never knew what to say to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was I was in such decision fatigue. I literally could not ask people or or right. um, give out, you know, things. Articulate demands, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I was overwhelmed. And so when people could just say, well, we know these like daily things need to be taken care of. How about we just jump in and do it? Um, And that was incredible to be just the recipient of that. And it was hard at first. You know, I grew up, uh, my husband's a pastor's kid and I grew up, you know, very much in the church and serving and doing and learning to flex the spiritual muscle of receiving was really hard. Um, But it's something that I had to learn and it's a gift that we all got to be a part of when we were, we um, willingly received. And I really do think it's a spiritual muscle we have to flex. Um, I I think it goes to the very root of our relationship with God. We have to receive, we have to receive his love and his grace and his gifts to us. And if we become so independent, we think we can do it all on our own. We're missing the whole point. Um, And so that's what we really learned through this, that end of, of being the receiver of such an amazing, generous community. It's amazing. Wow. She just said something really interesting. Uh, You were, you, you said that receiving is a spiritual muscle that we must develop. Um, I've never heard it said that way before, but you're so right. And if you're like me at all, that's the hardest is to receive, right? That, that to is, to acknowledge our dependence or our need, and, yeah. You know, but you're right. It is the foundation of our faith is that we are in need, and we are, yeah. you know, that's that's a really that's a really important thing. I I deal a lot with single parents, um, and what they walk through. And one of the hardest things for a single parent and a lot of reasons that a lot of them stay isolated is they don't know how Mm -hmm. to flex that muscle of like declaring a need or letting that need show because they're already so battered and embarrassed about a divorce or about whatever it is that led them that spot that they don't want to say I'm further in need or, you know, because they're just embarrassed, but you're right. It is, it is humbling. And, but it's imperative that you are vulnerable with the community to the extent that you show that need. I'm really glad you brought that up. So uh, just as a kind of a wrap up, Becca, we're, we're just have a couple minutes left. Our producer flashed me the, the sign, but your book's going to be out by the time we air this podcast. So where would people go to find it online? Amazon will be the best place for you to find it. Okay. So go check it out. Can't steal my joy. The journey to a different kind of life. Can't steal my joy. will be at Amazon. You can also, I'm assuming, find more information at your website, can'tstealmyjoy.com. Um, we are going to be praying for you, and I would encourage our audience of podcast people, which is over twenty five thousand strong, to be praying mm-hmm. for you and your family 
uh, in this season of life because uh, there is a supernatural component to this. There is a an intangible mystery to the way God shows up in our stories. And yeah. uh, I can see it written all over you. I can hear it in your voice. Uh, I can read it in your words that there's been a uh, intimacy that you've developed with your heavenly father that couldn't have come any other way. So thank you for being vulnerable and so courageous to share your story with us today. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to. I always tell everybody anytime I get a chance to share, it's another redemptive stone on our pathway. And it, it just, it, it's part of my grieving process, probably, but sure. it really is jumping in on the redemptive story that God's at, at work doing. So, Well, it's powerful, and we're, we're grateful that you shared it with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we're very excited to announce a partnership with the guys that we know from Boise, Idaho, Robert. Yes, we are. New release today. They're fantastic. Very, very relevant for what's going on. If you want to discover new music in the Christian realm, that's kind of the only place to go. Yeah, and not only do they have amazing music and amazing reviews and just a lot of information about Christian artists, but they are creating with us a brand new devotional product. Call it IRL Resources. Do you know what that stands for, Brad? I found out. You did? What does it stand for? It stands for In Real Life. That's exactly right, Brad. Very good. In Real Life, because a lot of times we have these standard devotionals that you know that, that we see, and, and we thought that it would be kind of cool to use their expertise in Christian music, couple that with actual scriptural and devotional thought that digs you deeper, not only into the song, but incorporates it into real life. And so it's a very vibrant and very awesome resource for families and for pastors. Yeah, and so if you uh, have a preteen or a teen in your home and you're looking for a new devotional to do weekly, we have a digital subscription online at irlresources.com. It's very inexpensive. The first study is free to check it out. There's nothing to lose. You should go there and see what's the latest thing in Christian devotional. Absolutely. You won't regret it. Well, I'm humbled. Me too. That's Sincerely. Yeah, I, that that humbled me quite a bit, you know. What a remarkable testimony. And honestly, you know. I don't know that I could I don't know that I could face what she's facing and not that she's just facing it, but she's she you can tell she has an infectious joy. Like she has there's something different. Yeah, and I I love the fact that we can illustrate the difference between um a jovial happiness, a feeling, and <clears throat> true joy. Yeah, um, there is a difference. And when she says you can't steal my joy, she's not saying it isn't a hard time and that she's not grieving. She's saying that she put her hope somewhere that won't disappoint. There's something beyond yeah. feeling. Yeah. yeah, I I have been through some difficult seasons in my life. Nothing approaching what she's been in yeah. or is in. But I sense the threads are similar in that God does make his appearances in really special ways. Um, for her, it's a yellow flower. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with her that, you know, when she says, dare I say, it may be because of the broken places. I couldn't agree more with that. And we both have shared for years the importance of our brokenness, the importance of that season 
where you feel completely in despair and the pow- the transformational power that happens in brokenness um, is evident in her life and yeah this this is one of those stories where you you can just see the profile of courage here i mean most people i would say the vast majority would hide from this mm-hmm. being public yeah they would do this privately behind closed doors they would insulate themselves from people seeing them in this vulnerable state. Um, but she's done the opposite in that she's invited us in. And she's blogging about it. She's written a book about it. She's talking on podcasts about it. Um, because there's something greater happening here than just her grief. Mm-hmm. She senses she's a part of a bigger story. And that's, that's remarkable. I agree. I don't know that I would have the cognitive sense in the t- in the in in my suffering to look around and go, oh, I could be helping others. Right, right, one hundred percent. Yeah, that's a supernatural yeah. thing. That's agape love. That's something way beyond what we can muster in our own self. Right. That's better than being a good Christian. That is presence of God stuff. Well, uh, a couple of practical things I would say, just in debriefing Robert, this idea of. You know, don't ask me to let you know if you need anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, and thought about that. That's a great thing to say. It doesn't really do anything. And so she's saying, if you know someone in a similar uh, difficulty, go do it. You right. know, go take care of them. Right. Do, do what you do. You know, if you cut hair, cut their hair. If you right. mow lawns, mow their lawn. You know, it's, it's not super complicated. That's exactly um, right. But it can make a huge difference, so... Yeah, I, I I could echo that. I could talk about that all day long. But yes, it is the simple things. It is absolutely cleaning houses, cutting hair, making meals, whatever it is. Just find someone and do something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not rocket science. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely um, you know a an awareness thing and a willingness to serve thing. And so um, I, you know, when we have people like this on the show, it's always. I get lost in their story. You know, I'm just, I want to know how she, I want to know in a year how she's doing. Yeah. And I, I, I want to encourage our audience to seek her out online, send her an email of encouragement. You know, if, you, if you're praying for them, tell them that you're praying for them. Yeah. Because um, those things matter. Those little details matter. And, um, you know, go on Facebook, whatever you can to, to keep up with this story. Because buy the book. Support this family. Yeah. So there's my big pitch. Well, we're so grateful for Becca. Did you have anything else that you wanted to mention? I mean, there's some we could talk about this for a long time, but Joey, our producer, would Joey's waving his hand. Beat us. I, I apologize, Joey. I just, you know, this one touched me a little. We're grateful for Becca to to share her story, and we're also grateful for you guys tuning in and um, downloading this podcast. Encourage you to leave some comments and questions and suggestions where you can on your uh, podcast platform, and for sure, give us some stars if you think about it, and uh, we will see you here again next week. Thanks, everyone. God bless. Be encouraged, parents. You are not alone. In Paul's letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, he writes... But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Brilliantly Brave Parenting wants to be an encouragement and support that parents can rely on. Would you consider liking us and sharing us with a friend? As a part of the Tween Gospel Alliance, we are a nonprofit organization dependent on the support of friends like you. Thanks for stopping by. 
We'll be right here next week. Brad, you know I'm a foodie, right? Absolutely. Okay, I want to tell you about this awesome coffee experience. It's called CJ's Coffee Culture and Community. It is a faith-run coffee culture. And the thing that's really cool about this is that they roast their own beans, they have delicious coffees, and they, they have two brick and mortar, so two coffee bars, as well as a virtual location at cjscoffeecafe.com. Here's the cool thing. They ship their beans, they ship their coffee anywhere in the world, so you don't just have to be in Texas to enjoy it. CJ's Coffee Culture and Community. Awesome. You know, Robert, every parent, every pastor is looking for resources that are new and insightful for their kids. So true. So so where do we go? Well, with the advent of iShineLive.com, we have a web store. And in that web store, we've got resources. Like what? We've got resources like Bibles. We've got devotionals. We even have journals for kids. Do you have music? We do have music. And video? Absolutely. Wow. And everything's been designed for the preteen and tween in your life. Who needs Amazon? iShineLive.com. Check it out.